Christ is risen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Paul has written to the church in Corinth, the church that he helped establish. And he tells them, reminds them of something that he's preached to them in the past. He said, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins on the cross, according to the Scriptures, the Old Testament, and that he was buried in a tomb, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's Resurrection Day, or Easter. Why is it called Easter? Because he trashed a pagan holiday. It no longer means what it used to mean. It points directly to the relationship of Jesus and his resurrection. There's plenty of dozens, maybe hundreds of pagan holidays the world no longer celebrates. But because of the resurrection, we remember that and celebrate that. And Easter, somehow, the word got stuck into it traditionally, and it is what it is. He arose from the dead on Easter. According to the scriptures, verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve, that is the rest of the apostles. After that, verse 6, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Can we say eyewitnesses? Of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So 500 saw him. Some of them, I guess, got old and died or were persecuted and assassinated. Verse 7, after that, he was seen by James. That's James, the brother of Jesus. Then by all the apostles. They got to see him more than once. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. He saw the Lord. The Lord appeared to him on his throne. He kind of opened a portal in the skies and spoke to Paul, who was on his way to Damascus of Syria to persecute Christians. Imagine that in Syria. And he was going to kill some of them and uh, intimidate them, terrorize them. He was a terrorist, legalized terrorism. And God apprehended him, blinded him, blinded him for three days, but opened his eyes spiritually and then later healed him physically. He became a believer and traveled around the Roman Empire preaching the gospel and planting churches. Public broadcasting has broadcasted that he traveled over 10,000 miles in his lifetime doing this, on horseback, on foot, and by ship. A hard-working guy, a single guy. He was able to take advantage of his singleness and do things for God no one else had been able to do. Yet he was a humble man. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, apostle means this one who sent on a mission, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, how many thankful for grace? I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. What does that mean, not in vain? God's grace is extended to all, but to many it's in vain. They just use it as an excuse to defend their sinfulness. He received God's mercy and used it as a reason to serve the Lord. Thank God for not killing me. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Verse 11, therefore, whether it was I or they, 
so we preach, and so you believed. And there was going through the land, winds of doctrine, just like they do in our time. Jesus rose from the dead, but we're not. Or Jesus never rose from the dead. And he addresses that. Verse 12, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. The old King James Version says, most miserable. But now, verse 20, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Because of assurance of our future resurrection, death for the believer on this side is considered sleep. He fell asleep. Why? Because one day we're going to wake up. Now, on heaven's side, outside of eternity, we're absent from the body and present with the Lord. But on our side, they're no longer with us. They're asleep. This is assured us because of his resurrection. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, Christ is risen. If you want to have some fun, if you want to laugh or maybe cry, just Google man on the street. And then add a question, you know, who, who is our fifth president or whose face is on the $10 bill or some other question that most people should know. And it is amazing of the hundreds of people that don't seem to know anything. High school graduates. They've slept between now and then, I guess. Uh, some don't even know who our president is and some don't remember who the last president was. Some don't even know who's running for president. It's hard to believe, but, I mean, these are real people. Now, if you want to cry, Google Easter questions. What is Easter all about? Man, you'll see dozens of answers that want to make you cry. It's about bunnies, eggs, candy, jelly beans, chocolate. Uh, It's Jesus' birthday. Anything but what it's really about. Now, as a church, we resist using the word Easter because we don't want the Jehovah Witnesses to persecute us. <laughs> we resist it, but we, we know what it points to, so when other churches use it, we say, Hallelujah, yes, Happy Easter. When they have Easter egg hunts, we don't throw rocks at them. When they dump Easter eggs out of helicopters, Hallelujah, have fun, take your kids take advantage of the situation but we refrain from doing that because we really want our children to know what it's about and if you do too much of this other stuff that's in the culture thank god it's in the culture because we're able to mention what it's really about your kids may grow up and be offered an opportunity to testify of their faith and all they can say is well it's about candy or jelly beans or bunny rabbits 
What do do boiled eggs have to do with new life anyway? They're dead. They've been boiled. I mean, if you want eggs to point to new life, put that thing in an incubator and see what happens a few days later. And then teach your kids about new life. So I'm not slamming those things in our culture. Enjoy them. If you do Easter egg hunts with your kid, hallelujah. I bought Easter baskets yesterday for our grandkids. Have fun with it. But point, include somehow in your celebration the real reason it's about. Just like with Christmas, it's not about Santa Claus. He came along after the fact. Anyway, that's for free. That's not what today's about. But I began to think of the elements of the resurrection. And I'm going to quickly here in the next few minutes cover ten elements of the resurrection so that if you should be confronted on the on the road or on the sidewalk or in the parking lot with someone with a TV camera asking you what is Easter about, you'll be able to list more than just one thing. The first element that's involved in the resurrection story, the celebration of his rising from the dead, is the fact that he died. If he hadn't died, there wouldn't be a need for a resurrection. It would not have been possible, right? Verse 3 says he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. It's a historical fact that he died. The debate is what happened after that, if there's any debate. He died. He lived as a man and died. He was killed by professional executioners who knew what they were doing, and he was tortured beforehand, and he died quick. Well, it wasn't like that but quicker than normal because he had been tortured so much. Another element is the reality of the third day. The tomb was empty. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. The theories that have come along since then, centuries later, was, well, they went to the wrong tomb. Oh, really? The guards were guarding the wrong tomb? Uh You know, the whole world saw what had happened in that part of the day, and if they wanted to wipe out the story of a resurrection, why couldn't they have produced the body? What happened to the body? The stone was moved, even though it had been sealed with a Roman seal, making it a crime to open it. Who was was charged with, with breaking that seal? Who was convicted of that crime? It was rolled out of the way, by the way, not so he could get out, but so they could get in to see that it was empty. Another element in the story of the resurrection is the phenomena of the Scriptures. He died according to the Scriptures. He was buried and arose from the dead according to the Scriptures. Jesus fulfilled over 70, I think, major prophecies and dozens of technicalities. A major prophecy was that he would be betrayed or 30 pieces of silver. A technicality was that that silver would wind up on the temple floor. Another technicality was that silver would be used to buy a field. The laws of probability and the life of Jesus are staggering. Years ago, some statisticians in a university assigned their students a project to take eight of the prophecies about Jesus and see what the odds are that someone would, would fulfill them. What are their odds at that day and time that someone would be born in Bethlehem? It's simple. You take how many people are in the world and put it one to that many people. If there was 
80 million people in the world, then it's, it's a chance out of 80 million that you would be born in Bethlehem. And that he would go from Bethlehem to Egypt. What are the chances of that? That was also in the prophecy, that he would come out of Egypt. How many people were in Egypt? What are the chances that someone from Israel would go to Egypt? And you work that into the equation. And each, each equation begins to accumulate. And I think it was 1 to the 84th power for just 8 of the prophecies about Jesus to be fulfilled. And he, he fulfilled over 70 of them, I believe it is. Plus the technicality. According to the Scriptures. This is amazing. It's proven the Scriptures existed centuries ago. I mean, there's no debate as to how long the Old Testament has been around. So that's another element of the resurrection. Another one is the transformation of his followers. He was seen after rising from the dead by Peter or Cephas in Aramaic, and then by the twelve. These guys were afraid. They were hiding for their lives. Peter had denied that he had known the Lord. He even cussed, said something like, May I be damned if I knew him. The resurrection transformed them changed them. They became bold witnesses for the resurrection. And in the face of torture and threatened death and even eventual death, none of them recanted their faith in the reality of Christ's resurrection. The testimonies of eyewitnesses, 500 brothers at once saw him. This caused the church to explode. By Acts chapter 4, it was 5,000 members. Church was born in Acts chapter 2. Two chapters later, the thing had grown to 5,000 members. Why? These guys were mighty witnesses. They were part of it. Needless to say, the church was born a short walk from the empty tomb. What an evangelistic tool that was. Another element is the conversion of his family. To me, this is huge. He was seen by James. The story of his resurrection, the fact he rose from the dead and they knew it, convinced them that he was who he said he was. They weren't sure who he was. Who, who has siblings in the room? Sometimes we're not one another's biggest fans. We know things about each other that annoy us. Can you imagine having a brother that was perfect? How annoying can that be? Rolling your eyes. Yeah, sure, Mom. He's a special child. Right. Right. Sure. Immaculate conception, my foot. Yeah, right. <laughs> We've had presidents that have been embarrassed by their siblings. Who remembers Billy Beer? <laughs> President Jimmy Carter had a brother named Billy. Was not a politician. He liked beer, and so somebody took advantage of the situation and used him to market a brand of beer called Billy Beer. Anyway, needless to say, famous people aren't necessarily fans or are made fans by their siblings. In Christ's case, two of his brothers wrote books of the New Testament, James and Jude. They died torturous deaths. They did not recant their faith in the crucifixion story and his resurrection. They were there when the church was born in Acts chapter 1. It says the people in the upper room were all with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women 
and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Another place in the New Testament lists them by name. There's, there's four, four, um, four brothers. One of them was named Judas, but we call him Jude because another Judas did a bad number on that name. It's a good name, but anyway. There's the element of his enemies and the precautions they took that makes the resurrection story plausible. They wanted to end his life. They plotted to put him to death. And they wanted to make sure the crime scene was not tampered with or contaminated. Who remembers if it don't fit? Yeah. So they made sure that nobody could do anything. In fact, they had spoken to the authorities in Matthew 27. They said, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people he was risen from the dead. So they made sure there was no fake resurrection. Why? They didn't want there to be a fake resurrection. Obviously they didn't want there to be a real one either. They didn't believe there would be a real one. But there's no way they could prevent it because Jesus is God. You can't stop God. But God is so awesome, even his greatest enemies are working for him. Maybe you believe in the yin-yang principle, that there's got to be a balance of good and evil in the world, yada, yada, yada. I, I, I don't believe that. I think there's way too much evil in the world. It needs to be diminished. It's almost as though some people believe the opposite of God is Satan. God has no opposites. Opposite of dark is light. Opposite of cold is heat. Opposite of God is nothing. He has no opposites. He has enemies that wind up working for him. Proverbs says God made all things for himself, even the wicked for the day of doom. Paul wrote in another place, had they known what, had his enemies known what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So in their ignorance, they served the purposes of God by making sure that no one could fake the resurrection. Not that these fearful followers would have even attempted it. But nobody ever found the body, and yet there's this continued, for 40 days, a continued, repetitious appearance of Jesus here and there all over that part of the world. And then, after three centuries, there's the turning of the Roman Empire. This is an element of the resurrection that you cannot argue with. In 313 AD, after three centuries of resistance and intense persecution, Emperor Constantine issued the Edict of Milan, which accepted Christianity. It was no longer illegal. And ten years later, it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Bless you. The official religion of the Roman Empire. This was a good thing for the Christians because the heat was coming off of them, but a bad thing in the sense that nobody should be forced to convert to any religion. So, but thank God for the heat that was taken off of them. But the point is, this is testimony to the fact you couldn't wipe out the story of the resurrection. It happened. The world's best experts couldn't destroy it. Now, some Johnny-come-latelys have come along over the centuries and offered explanations, but those explanations wouldn't pass at the time. That he fainted? 
And after fainting, he was put in a tomb and a you know, 2,000-pound stone put in front of it. And in his weakened state, he got up with a loss of blood, having fainted and being dehydrated and sore and wounds all over and pushed that stone out of the way and knocked these guards down. Wouldn't, wouldn't fly back in that day. That didn't come along until centuries later. He was killed by people who knew how to kill, professionals. Romans, talk about brutal. They didn't have any laws of warfare. They knew what they were doing. Another element of the resurrection is benchmarking a world history. The Anno Domini dating system was devised in 525 by Dionysius Exegius to enumerate the years in his Easter table. What is an Easter table? It's a table, a mathematical instrument of laying out of numbers and dates to determine when Easter is going to fall next year, this year, that year, whatever. And uh, it's connected to the lunar cycles. Passover is connected to the lunar cycles. You know, God, God designed the universe with planets and their orbits and all that stuff. If you want to see an Easter table in Roman numerals, I've got an uh, electronic version of it up here. It's pretty confusing. But what he did was to determine when it would be, he measured back through history of when Christ was, and he designed the A.D. system. Up until then, just one year happened, and you, you measured time by who was king at the time. Well, he lived during the reign of Augustus Caesar, and you have this a lot in the Bible. But something so significant happened because of the resurrection that they begin to measure time from the life of Christ forward. So we technically live in the year A.D. 2016. Anno Domini. Anno is related to time, annual. Domini is related to lordship or authority or reign or dominate. So the year of the Lord's reign, from the year his, his reign began, A.D. onward is 1916 years from His life. Now, before Christ, B.C. points to before. So there is no zero. Uh, 1 B.C. is the same thing as A.D. 1. Leave that for the experts to explain that to us, but that's the way I understand it in, in my studies. The whole world that's civilized considers this A.D. 1916. Now, in history class, they've attempted to change this. We call it CE. We live in 19, you know, 2016 CE. 100 years behind. Just seeing if you're awake. And BCE. BCE means before common areas, common era. CE means common era. It still relates to the resurrection. They can play with acronyms all they want. It's 2016, because of the resurrection. If you watch the news on CBN or Daystar, you may have seen this brother Skyping. The brother on the right is Rocky Gathright. He's preached for us a couple times. He's been a friend of ours since 1987, and he's a friend of this church. He's a missionary in Brussels, Belgium. He used to be my neighbor. He was at the airport 
when the suicide bombers killed all those folks. He had just dropped a friend off. So in looking for his friend, he wound up ministering to people, helping people, praying with people. While they're running away, he's going in, looking for his friend. And this one quote I heard that he made, I heard him testify on Channel 8 that very, like an hour after it all went down, or hour into the day, and I watched the news. Um, but someone that saw him on Daystar, he said he was cocooned in this boldness. You make me brave. You make me brave. The fear of death is taken away because of the cross. So that's the final element is our freedom from the fear of death as a result of the resurrection. Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's verse 20, the last verse in our text today. He makes us brave. He takes the fear of death away. How many times have we had memorial services funerals for believers in the 25 years of this church's existence. And the death of saints is so much different than the death of unbelievers. The death of saints, you know where they are. Unbelievers, you're not sure. You say they're in the hands of a merciful God, and from where they are right now, they would want you to hear this, and you preach the gospel. But for believers, to live as Christ, to die is gain. So the elements of the resurrection are Christ's death for our sins, the reality of what happened the third day, the empty grave, the phenomena of the scriptures, the centuries-old multiple predictions from multiple sources that he fulfilled them all. His followers, who had been fearful, were transformed into bold witnesses, the testimony of all those eyewitnesses and the impact it had on the growth of the church. The conversion of his family. That, that one just really boggles my mind. I have two siblings, three siblings and parents, and they're not always my fan. They don't always believe in what I believe in. But I tell you what, a resurrection make a believer out of anybody. The enemies and their precautions... Very important element in the resurrection story. They prevented any fakery from happening. The, the uh, turning of the Roman Empire from Christianity being illegal, persecutable, offendable, and offense to Caesar to being fully embraced and made the re- legal religion of the empire. The benchmarking of time permanently. I mean, it's that way from now on. And freedom from the fear of death. There's actually one other element. It has to do with the people in this room, especially those that aren't sure or they're not believers or they've stopped following the Lord. Every year we are given an opportunity to become a believer through this resurrection story. It's not about silly rabbits or colored eggs, or chocolate, as enjoyable as that stuff is. It's about God's Son who was given for you and I 
who gave his life, died on a cross, was buried, and arose from the dead so that whoever would call on his name could receive the benefits of that. So on this resurrection day, will you accept the call to follow the one who declared himself to be the only way? Well, that just sounds so bigoted. It just sounds so elite. Well, is it bigoted to say the way to Fort Worth is going that way on 377? No, I want to go that way. Well, you'll never get there. Well, how arrogant can you be? It's just that simple. He declared himself to be. He's God. He has a right to declare what he declares. The truth is, he is the way, the truth and the life. We cannot have a relationship with God because of our sin, our wickedness. God is totally pure, totally holy, totally just, and will not fellowship with any contamination. He allowed us to go our own way, to live Lives of full freedom, power of choice, and all that stuff. That's why there's so much wickedness in the world. Read the headlines. You don't think there's a sin problem. It's there. But Christ came in the midst of this corruption, lived a perfect life. And, of course, corruption can't put up with incorruption for very long. Somebody's going to begin to persecute it. And he died. God allowed it to happen so that his death could become the payment deserved by all sinners. The wages of sin is death. And he's rose from the dead as the high priest, making available to us salvation through the benefit of his full payment for our sin. He paid our fine. He did our time. He is our Savior. Hanging between heaven and earth as God and man, he paid our price. And rising from the dead gives us assurance that he was telling the truth, that his death was not Yes, but what about all these other religions? What about all these other ways? Well, I don't want to throw rocks at other religions today. They're man's search for God. But Christ is God searching for man. Watch this.
the days of the Soviet Union and the USSR, there was an atheistic rally one Easter season in a little town square. And after considerable length of time, the atheist professor, the communist leader, concluded his speech declaring the glories of atheism and how the resurrection was impossible. When he was done, a lone voice in the crowd was heard saying, Christ is risen! And the crowd said, Christ is risen! Let's bow our heads. You may be here today. You've heard the gospel story maybe for the first time or the thousandth time. And you're ready to become a believer. You're ready to confess with your mouth faith in the resurrection of Jesus. That is you. Could you just raise your hand? Hold it up. If you're here today and you believe in the resurrection, but you've not followed Jesus, you know he's the Lord of death, but he's not been the Lord of your life. And you'd like to make a new start in your life. Could you raise your hand? Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray that we we would be empowered as witnesses for your resurrection. Make us bold, Lord. May we remember these elements, if not all of them, the ones that are most important when we are questioned for our faith. Lord, may we be bold witnesses. And Lord, may we take your command seriously and love our fellow man, especially our enemies, and you most of all. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for this holy, holy, holy day. May we all celebrate it for your glory. And may our children know what it's about before the sun goes down. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. May the Lord God Almighty bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go get them, you fearless tigers. In Jesus' name, amen.